You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. I'm Pastor Bob, and I want to introduce you to our granddaughter, Elise Jade Cutler, who was born Friday afternoon. There's Grandma. (laughs) And when I held her uh, the next morning, I tell you, that little girl opened up her eyes at me. She made eyes at me. And if you want to know what we're going to be doing in retirement, there's Exhibit A. (laughs) And Oren's Exhibit B. And life is good. We uh, had a great day yesterday as uh, Coach Osier came and helping leaders and staff in, in how we can best pass the baton to my successor. And so we continue to pray as we do not know who that person is, but God knows who that person is. And we look forward to the ways in which we're going to continue to make this a marker time, a time of renewal, and a time in which Schweitzer is going to move forward in, a, in amazing ways. Uh, I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who came and preached their first sermon, and I can't remember whether he was a he or she was a she, and so I'm just going to say their first sermon. And as they preached their first sermon, people were amazed at how wonderful, how powerful, how dynamic it was. It was the talk of the town, and they couldn't wait for the second Sunday. They came back the second Sunday, and that pastor preached the very same sermon that was preached the first Sunday. And then they began to talk among themselves, began to whisper. They didn't talk to the pastor directly, of course, but there was a lot of chat in the congregation going on. What's going on here? Came time for the third sermon, the third Sunday, and that pastor preached exactly again the same sermon. There was a called special meeting that afternoon of the church board, and I will tell you from personal experience, it's never a good sign when there's a special call meeting of the board on a Sunday afternoon. They called the meeting, the chair got right to it and said, Pastor, don't you have a different sermon, another sermon than this one? And the pastor said, sure I do. And when you live up to the first sermon, I'll go on to the second one. (laughs) Well, you know, as I read through the Gospel of Luke, and I hope that you are enamored with this message series as I am, what's striking to me is that Luke in many ways seems to be preaching the same sermon. He certainly has the same emphasis. And what Luke is driving home to us is that Jesus, while He's a unique Savior and Messiah of God, He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God is doing things through Jesus. And we might mistakenly think that He's doing it only because uh, He's the Son of God. But the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things through Him. And He's going to be doing amazing things not just through Jesus but through others who follow Jesus. And another great theme that Luke just keeps going over and over and over again with us, while the message changes in the sense of the characters and the storyline, is that God is concerned about the outsider. God is concerned about those who are not yet a part of the kingdom. God is concerned especially for the marginalized and the poor as those who are part of those who are often on the outside. And so today is no different than the messages in many ways that we've been hearing. 
and yet uh, it is the gospel of our Lord. So uh, let's lean in and see what Jesus has to say to us this morning as we look now at the gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning of verse 17. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on, the, on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Again, while the Holy Spirit is not explicitly named here, there's a power that comes out of him. And three times already in the Gospel of Luke, Luke has told us that the Holy Spirit was on Jesus at his baptism, the Holy Spirit was in Jesus and on Jesus in the wilderness, that the Holy Spirit was on Jesus in Nazareth as he began his public ministry. And it's the Spirit that's working through Jesus. And if you are a student of the Bible, you know that there's a second volume called the Acts of the Apostle that's in our New Testament. And Luke wrote that one. And Luke begins to talk about, again, how the Holy Spirit and the same things that God was doing through Jesus, he did through Peter and Paul and a whole lot of other people. So that's one of those reoccurring themes that we don't want to lose sight of. In the midst of all that Jesus is doing, he also is teaching them words of wisdom, words of the Spirit. So we read on in these words that then Jesus turned to his disciples, and that's more than just the 12. That's to all those people that are gathered there. And he said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? That's in reference to himself. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you as you laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. You know, it's striking to me that as Jesus says these words, he speaks them to a community of people. I saw this more clearly this week than I've ever seen it. I've preached on this many times. I guess I'm just kind of slow at the take. But what is remarkable to me is that as Jesus speaks these words, Jesus isn't talking about the poor and the hungry. 
He is speaking to the poor and the hungry. And in the same setting, Jesus isn't talking about the rich and the prosperous. He is speaking directly to the rich and the prosperous. They're all in one community. And that's, that, to me, is, is a remarkable reality of who Jesus is. Jesus was always about the business of bringing people of all kinds of diversity together. When he named the disciples, he's got a zealot and he's got an Essene. He's got someone that's all about militaristic. He's got a, a, a people that hang out in the desert to withdraw from society. He's got fishermen. He's got business people. He's got a hated tax collector. And among the women, well, he's got a prosperous woman and he's got uh, women that are of ill repute with a very rough past. Jesus has a way of bringing all kinds of people into the community. And probably the thing that separates us more as a country is classism. So when Jesus says in raw form, blessed you who are poor, blessed you who are hungry now, blessed you who are mourning, He's talking to real people right in front of him. And he's not saying it's blessed to be in this condition. He's not romanticizing poverty. But he's speaking directly to people, people that are oftentimes marginalized, people who are invisible. He's saying that God sees you and you matter to God. In the same way, he speaks to the rich and the powerful and the prosperous. And relatively speaking, that includes many of us in this room. It certainly includes me. He says, you're laughing now, but you're not going to laugh later. Now, what's Jesus getting at? Is, Is Jesus a killjoy? Is Jesus against laughter? Or is Jesus getting at the idea that if you're living your life just about yourself, consumed with prosperity and who you are and what you're about, you're going to come to a sense of emptiness. If life is all about winning the praise of others rather than being in relationships, and particularly, I think, in relationship with the poor, your life... You're just missing it completely. It was about 14 years ago that God did something very real in my heart. When I took a trip to Nicaragua, I've done several different trips to uh, impoverished countries. But it was on this particular trip that about 12 people from Schweitzer journeyed with me. And I met there a, a woman named Maria, a mother a small children, and we went into her house, her shack, her shanty of a shack with a mud floor. And we worked alongside her as we were a part of the Rainbow Network project of helping to build concrete homes with people. And I remember meeting a young man named Marvin. He was in his 20s. He and I didn't have anything in common except Jesus. There was a middle-aged American white guy, he Hispanic, impoverished. But when we got to preach together <laughs> through an interpreter, it's one of the great, great blessings of my life. And coming home on the airplane, 
I sense God whispered to me, Bob, did you really have to leave Springfield to meet a poor person? And I recognized that I did not personally know or in any real way acquainted with a person who was living in impoverished conditions. And since that time, I've seen God whisper and move in this church in all kinds of ways in which so many people are engaged in relationships. And it's still God's vision for this church that we become even more intermingled and knowing each other. And if you want to be a part of a church where you have opportunity to engage with other people, the rich need the poor and the poor mean, need, mean the rich, need the rich. Then this, this is the church for you. You know, I've been called a short-termer, so short-termers have lots of freedom. (laughs) So I'm going to say this. The answer to all the problems economically and divisiveness in our culture isn't solved with some hard-line, tight-fisted, conservative approach. And it's not going to be solved by limousine liberals who throw money at problems but don't get out of the limousine. It's going to happen through relationships. Jesus is always calling us to relationships. And it's in knowing each other, it's in in the messiness, it's in the stepping into those relationships, it's into the knowing each other, it's into the disappointments as well as the victories and the successes. That Jesus is calling us to be the church. We are living in a world without Jesus Christ. It's not that Jesus isn't here. But I've seen a lot of different political things come and go. I've seen a lot of different solutions that the church has tried to come up with. There's nothing more like dynamic relationships where people really know each other, engage in real life. And Jesus is all over that. Well, if that, was an, if that wasn't enough, Jesus just keeps talking. And he becomes more challenging in what he has to say next. So let's look at these words in verse 27 and beyond. So, but I say to you, but to you who are willing to listen, isn't that a, if you're willing to listen, he says, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. 
Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. You know, there's a lot there that Jesus is saying. But if I could summarize three things that what I really feel like he's, he's talking about. He's, he's calling his disciples to love. He's calling his disciples to pray. And he's calling his disciples to bless. And he's calling us to do this indiscriminately. He's calling us to live in this way. When I was a 20-something preacher, I was very idealistic. I took the words of Jesus, if not literally, I took them very seriously, and I preached straightforward idealism. Then life got kind of realistic, and I had a lot of people in the church push back, and uh, I became more realistic. I stand before you today as someone that is becoming more increasingly idealistic. And I find no loopholes in what Jesus has to say to us. And Jesus is saying very clearly to us this morning, if you want to live the life of a sinner, he gives us all kinds of examples of what that's like. But if you want to be a disciple of me, if you want to follow me, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is how I'm calling you to live. Hard? You bet it's hard. But it's just like, this is it, brothers. This is it, sisters. I'm calling you to love. I'm calling you to love people you don't naturally love. I'm calling you to not, not discriminate against those who are persecuting you or your opponents, your enemies. And that's hard to do in, in a world where I know oftentimes I have instant replays going on in my mind. Instant replays in which offenses of no calls are going over and over in my mind. Just like two weeks ago in New Orleans, there was an offensive play of a no call. And I'm sure there's not too many Saint fans feeling the love toward the Rams and particularly toward two particular referees that were standing right there and not blowing the whistle. Personally, if that had happened against the Chiefs by the Patriots, I would, I'd be really, really struggling. I don't, feel, <laughs> I don't feel a lot of love toward the Patriots right now anyway. But in real life in things that really matter even more. And there's a lot of things that matter more. What do you do with those instant replays? How are you going to respond to them? How are you going to live your life? Just about people that maybe that live with you every day or people that you know occasionally or people that you work with. How do you deal with those offenses that seem to never have a call against them? Jesus is saying, uh, turn the cheek. He says, turn the cheek. 
Now, we need to understand what it means to turn the cheek and what it doesn't mean. Turning the cheek means, for one thing, it's an act of self-respect. Because when I'm turning the cheek, I'm not going to just stand there. I'm saying, you just can't keep hitting me. It's really, in that culture, a statement of, stop it. But it's also an act of of non-retaliation. I'm not going to stand here and take the abuse, but I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to turn the cheek. And I'm going to bless, forgive, love, pray for you. We live in a, in a time in our own denomination where we, we realize that we're facing a lot of divisiveness related to human sexuality. And a book has been distributed and town hall meetings have been held and a pastoral statement has been issued. And in the midst of this, we know that in three weeks, the general conference will act and we don't know what's going to happen to the United Methodist Church. But we believe and lead this church in the best spirit and the best truth with the best grace that we know how. And whoever you are, and wherever you are on this issue or so many other issues that could divide us, I have found the words of David Watson, who's the dean and uh, professor of New Testament at, in Dayton, Ohio, United Seminary, very helpful. I've shared these words in a note this week, and I share them now. But the Bible forces me to remember that the people I disagree with, people I may get really mad at, are so important to God that Christ died for them. And in those times when I've tried to hurt the people who hurt me, when I've returned evil for evil, when I haven't shown meekness but succumbed to pride and anger, Scripture calls me to confess my sin and repent. I've got plenty of confessing and repenting that I've been doing and will continue to do. In life, we're called to love people. And if we, I know that loving people that are different from us or people that are opposed in, in our views falls within the circle of loving your enemies. And we're called to pray. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me a prayer some weeks ago, and I've been praying it every morning. Lord, help me not to say or do anything today that I am going to regret. Now, that's a good prayer. You may, you may want to write that one down. And there have been many times, and that may seem sometimes it's kind of like a lame prayer, prayer because I, I, want, I want to pray more bold stuff than that. But in my weak moments, by default, or in the midst of it when there's a lot of stress or pressure or someone saying things to me that's kind of hard to take. Lord, help me not to say or do anything today that I'm going to regret. And then we've got to rediscover the art of blessing. Extending blessing to each other. We are living in a culture as an art form knows how to insult. It's all over Washington. It's all over Hollywood. It's all over social media. It's so prevalent in our culture in everyday life. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a sinner, Do that. 
But if you're going to follow me, I want you to bless others who are insulting you. That's what it means to be my disciple. I read this past week that there was a tomb found 60 miles south of Jerusalem that goes back to 600 years before Christ. And in the tomb, there was a silver plate. And on that plate, there were the words that were inscribed that the, from number six, the old priestly prayer, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you.